if somebody could please close that side door for me. Thank you. All right. Praise God. This is why we encourage testimonies. Testimonies are um, a great evidence or proof of God's work in every single one of us, right? So if um, so far in the past three weeks, we've had three great testimonies. And I, I'm encouraging uh, those of you who are still uh, are being led by the Lord. Not by me, not by my pressure, because I know I can pressure you guys. But by the Lord, led by the Lord to give your testimony. That will be great. Um, before we get into the message, please join me in the word of prayer. Father, we thank you for, again, for the testimony. Thank you for this time that you've given us. We thank you for the opportunity that we're able to learn more about you, about your ways, and about your will for us, Lord God. We ask again, Lord, that you open the eyes of the hearts of your people that are here in this building and the ones that are online. I pray, Father, for wisdom uh, that you speak through me once again by the use of your word. And I pray for your Holy Spirit to guide and teach every single person that you are speaking to tonight. I pray for humility and I pray, Lord God, for forgiveness for our sins. Let nothing, Lord God, hinder us from hearing you and obeying your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. So it's Valentine's. Happy Valentine's Day. I don't even know what that means anymore, but uh, sure. <laughs> Valentine's Day is the day that we celebrate. This month is a love day, right? Love month, I guess. Um, I hope all the men greeted their, their wives a happy Valentine's. No? Okay. I hope all the men did. If not, you have next year, and praise God, you're still alive. Um, all the men greeted and treated their wives in a very special way because our wives, they deserve it for putting up with our imperfections and our grumpiness. <laughs> Proverbs 18.22 reads, He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Somebody say amen. The men should say the amen there. Why was the women more louder there? And wives, I hope you, were, you all have greeted and treated your husbands in a very special way today. They deserve it too. They deserve for working hard and Putting up with your imperfections and your nagging about their imperfections and their grumpiness. Be careful about your nagging. Remember in Proverbs 21.19 it reads, Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and quarreling and nagging wife. Don't say amen. <laughs> Tonight I entitled our message, Love as an Idol. This is our serious break from the book of Ephesians. Uh, love as an idol. There, there's two things that we need to explain here. First, we have to define love. I don't think we do, right? I know love has been watered down many in many ways and many times. It's been misinterpreted with lust, right? Oh, I love her. No, you don't. You lust her. You lust after her. But more on idol. What is an idol? What does the Bible say about what idolatry is? In Exodus 1-5 to it reads, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You, have, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents of their third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Now look at that. That's pretty clear. Don't we agree? Pretty clear. And then when you go to the New Testament, because what we what we're supposed to do is to see the things that are still carried on to the New Testament. And on the New Testament, this is Paul Paul sharing the gospel, but before whenever if you read Paul's letters, whenever he shares the gospel, he always tackles idolatry. Always tackles idolatry. 
Therefore, since we are the descendants of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature, talk about God, is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by human skill and thought. Now, with these two verses, we see that God is very clear that anything made out of our hands are idols. Right? Now, think of your former faith. For me, I'm thinking about my former faith. I was a Roman Catholic before, and we had a lot of idols in our house. In our cathedrals, we had a lot of idols there. I had an idol in my car to protect me from accidents. And in every room in our house, we had an idol. We were praying to it. We were kissing it. We were bowing to it. We were kneeling down to it. We were also praying to Mary. We had a saint for each task. Those are all idols according to the Bible. Do we agree? Yes. Whether we like it or not, we have to agree. That's what's written in the Bible. Now, in the New Testament, it's not removed. It wasn't canceled out. It was carried on by Paul. Now, Paul, in, in his sermon in, the, in Mars Hill, as recorded in Acts 17, 22-28, he delivers this message, still affirming the commandment from Exodus that our Lord gave to Moses, that there shall not be any idols. Now, people in Rome, where he was at that time, were very religious. They had an idol. They had a God for everything. They had a God for money, they had a God for agriculture, they had a God for sex, they had a God for pleasure. They had gods for everything. So the first description of an idol is anything formed by human hands. Now the other is anything formed by human thought. Do we agree? Now I have to submit to you that between these two things, the first is easier to identify. Because you see an idol, you know it's an idol. But the second one's kind of, it, 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 it kind of creeps in on you. You won't know that it's an idol. Now for tonight's, for tonight's purpose, because it's Valentine's Day, I had our, our title is Love as an Idol. Love as an Idol. Now the objection for idols at this time is people will say that they no longer have those idols because they're, you know, it's 2021. People will say that they have drones now, electric cars. They're making flying cars next. When the cars are flying, that's when I'm able to afford a Tesla, I think. No one believes in idols now. And no one needs idols. They, they will say there's no need. We're not superstitious. You know, but in the very heart of American culture, this is what it said. No one has the right to tell an American who God is. No one has the right to, to tell them what to believe. Americans have the right to shape their own spirituality. They have the right to, the, to have their own faith and to worship the God that they like and that they prefer. That's the American culture. That's the society these days. You do you, I do me. Whatever works for you, that's good. But it doesn't necessarily mean it'll work for me. That's, that's idolatry. The very heart of American culture is idolatrous. This is the slogans. These are the slogans here. Uh, John, John is, is, not, is that not working anymore for me? <laughs> uh, the, the slogans are, you be you. Be true to yourself, follow your heart, find yourself. Now, if you have time to read a book, there is a book by Robert Bella. It's entitled Habits of the Heart. That's where you see that the American culture back in the 80s, has they've been saying that that's the heart of the American culture. They believe what they want to believe. They don't care what the Bible says. Now, when it comes to truth, isn't this, isn't this, the, if it's true, that's what we should hold on to, correct? But that's not the society now. Everybody has their own opinion and their opinion for them is the truth. Now, we have misinterpreted the line, everybody is entitled to their own opinion. But you're not entitled to the truth. You're not entitled to your own truth. You are entitled to your own opinion, but you are not entitled to your own truth, especially when it comes to God. When it comes to God, 
What God says in the Bible is what stands. That's the truth. That's the defining line. The Bible. Now it's February 14. I hope you are on your journey towards finishing your Bible. Believer, that is always our challenge in this church, right? You read your Bible. Now, how much have you worked this week or last week, 40 hours? How much of those of your week, the remainder of that day, did you read your word? How much of that, that time did you pray to God other than you getting in trouble? Because tr our trouble brings us to our knees. But most of the time when we're blessed, we forget who God is. Now, when they say, when they say this, when they say, follow your heart, and this is what the Bible says, right? The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And then in Mark, for it is from within our person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and the defiled person. Basically saying that the heart is an idol factory. It's an idol factory. All those things can be an idol. All those things you could love to do and then those become your idol. Now what is an idol? Did I have this slide here? No. An idol is this. This is from Tim Keller. And if you want to study more about it, he has a message that's entitled The Gospels, The Gospel and Idols. He says, an idol is anything that is more important to you than God. Anything that is functionally more important to your happiness, identity, hope, and meaning. That is functionally your God. Idolatry is not doing bad things. Idolatry is taking good things and making them into ultimate things, idolatry is taking relative and created things and turning them into absolutes. That is idolatry. That is the other idol that's hard to identify that you're actually worshiping that. Now it could be a person, it could be your parents, it could be your child, it could be your spouse, it could be yourself. Those are the idols that's hard to identify. Now, for tonight's sake, we have two things that we're going to try to identify here. First is the love and the career of money, or career or, or money. Uh, your career or your money could be your idol. It could be your idol. There's this song, I want to be a billionaire. I'm pretty sure the young people know this. I only know it because I have, uh, I have kids. Um, it, it reads, let me read it to you real fast. I want to be a billionaire so very bad. Buy all the things I never had. Oh, I want to be in the cover of Forbes magazine, smiling next to Oprah and the Queen. Oh, every time I close my eyes, I see my name in shining lights. A different city every night. I swear the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. But he wants to do good deeds, though. Listen, yeah, I would love to show... Uh, I. Yeah, I would have a show like Oprah. I would be the host of every Christmas. Uh, give me your wish list. I'd probably, be, I'd probably adopt babies and give them things they never had. Give away a Mercedes like, here, lady, have this. I want to be a billionaire. Now, I don't know if you'll ever get there, but he wrote a song about it and everybody started singing it, which makes everybody want to be a billionaire. Now, a thousandaire is hard itself. Much more a millionaire and then much more a billionaire. But then you see that, that, that obsession there every time I close my eyes. And if we're all going to be honest here, I think most of us have thought about this, have imagined this on how we're going to be millionaires and billionaires and then do good things. He just put a nice tone or tune and put the right words together and made money from it. We, but we've all probably confessed this. And probably prayed the prayer like, oh, Lord, if you'll bless me, if you belong to this church, right? And you were thinking about your lottery ticket. What's the next one? Oh, Lord, if you bless me, I'll buy the church a building. 
That's how we bribe God to answer our prayers. Like, come on, Lord, give it to me, and I'll give the I'll give you a church. Now, if you look at First Timothy six ten, it reads, "For the love of money is the first step toward all kinds of sin." Some people have even turned away from God because of their love for it, and as a result, have peered themselves with many sorrows. I think that's pretty clear. But we all love to argue with that. We all love to argue with that. Oh, come on. It's not that bad. I'm going to give to the poor. I have a lot of relatives in the Philippines that need my help. Now, how, 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 do, we, how do we translate? Our, how, when does our jobs or businesses become an idol? When we're talking about money. When does the love of money happen in our lives? Let me tell you. When you stop coming to church in replacement of going to work, when you start compromising your relationship with the Lord and would rather make money than, than, than follow God, when you make compromises on your faith so that you can make money, right? Those is, that's when it happens. That's when you, the love of money becomes more than your love for God. When you start sinning in, re, in, in return to making money. Maybe that's not clear. How about we read another example here? How about Luke 12, 13 and 21? Then someone called from the crowd, Sir, please tell my brother to divide my father's estate with me. Talking about Jesus. But Jesus replied, man, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Beware, don't always be wishing for what you don't have, for real life and real living are not related to how rich we are. Then he, speaking about Jesus, gave an illustration. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. In fact, his barns were full of to overflowing. He couldn't get everything in. He thought about his problem and finally exclaimed, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough. And I'll sit back and say to myself, Friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Wine, women, and song for you. But God said to him, Fool, tonight you die. Then who will get it all? Yes, every man is a fool who gets rich on earth, but not in heaven. Our love, the need to make money is one thing because work is God's blessing to us. And God, the Bible says, he who does not work does not eat. But when money becomes everything, when we place it, again, idolatry is when we love something more above God. I'm pretty sure I don't need to paint it for you. I'm pretty sure you know it, right? I know that the, there's probably times that we have put God ahead of the, the, our love for money ahead of our love for God. I got one more. Okay, so I still need to, if I'm not convincing you enough. Mark 10, 22 to 25. Then the man fell. talk about the rich young ruler. Remember that? He came to Jesus and he said, how do I earn eternal life? And Jesus told him, Give all the money you have and come follow me. In verse 22, it reads, Then the man's face fell and went away sadly, for he was very rich. Jesus watched him go and turned around and said to the disciples, It's impossible for the rich to get into the kingdom of God. This amazed them. So Jesus said it again, Dear children, how hard it is. For those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus told him how to err in eternal life. And he said, never mind. That is when the idolatry of money got... Because idols, they have power. You know, they're pervasive. You can't stop it. If you have an idol, they, get, they grab a hold of you. Even if you don't want it. You know, it's, it's like aging. Even if you think you don't want to age, you will age. Gray hair will pop up day after day after day. It's pervasive. That's just like when you have an idol. It grabs a hold of your life. 
He grabs a hold of your life, even if you don't want it. Because unknowingly, you've made a covenant with that idol. And for those, for this topic right here, for those of us who have made making money above God, that is what has happened. Money is holding you. Money is beholding you. And you can't let go. And you know it when God is saying, give me your heart. And you say, no, I'm not going to give you my heart. And this could happen in any ways, in many ways. But it's between you and God. And if you know that it's money that's grabbing your heart, you have chosen. You are in the grip of that idol. That idol is money. Now there's a, there isn't enough wealth and popularity that can that one can have in this world. There there isn't enough that w where they can find true true happiness, the ultimate peace or security. There, if if you go on Google and type in billionaire suicide, you will read about many things. If you say suicide, uh, uh, famous people that committed suicide, you will. Go, you will be surprised on how many people that will show up there. And those are real accounts, real people. You know, um, just to mention a few, remember the death of Anthony Bourdain, a very famous uh, TV personality, the famous designer Kate Spade, both died by suicide. Um, they have thrown the spotlight on, you know, it has thrown the spotlight of depression on celebrities uh, when this happened. But there's also Robin Williams. Yeah, I'm surprised to find this guy here. David Carradine, a kung fu guy. Kurt Cobain, of course. You know, to name a few rich and famous people who reached the pinnacle of success in their respective professional career. But it wasn't enough to keep them alive. It wasn't enough to keep them from hurting themselves to the point of death. You know, some of them, they, uh, 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 psychologists said that this happens to the, uh, to the people, the, the rich and famous. And he says here, instead of bringing them happiness and freedom for many, being sought after, rich and, uh, and at the top of their game leads to identity crisis and ruminations on their self-worth. They start wondering. But probably the pressure on when when can I make the next big hit? When can I make the be next best album? When can, can I win another championship? When can I make the next million? That's probably the, the pressure on that them probably mounts. And again, if you try to chase for anything other than your other than God in this world, you know that it's a it's a it's a, a bottomless pit. It's a bottomless pit. And how does a man benefit if he gains the whole world and loses his soul in the process? For is anything worth more than his soul? That's the idolatry of money. And it happens to each and every one of us if we're not careful. How about the idolatry of relationships? Uh, let me read before we get there. There is this song. You guys know about the Ken Lee love song? Ken Lee? Okay. <laughs> this, this is by, uh, by Harry Nielsen. Yeah? <laughs> I won't sing it. I'll just read it. It's actually, I, it's actually without you. But there's a, there's a contestant in American Idol that said Ken Lee. But I'll, I'll, you'll know the joke. I can't live if living is without you. I can't live if I can't give anymore. Can't leave if living is without you. I can't leave. I can't give anymore. Imagine, imagine the idolatry in this love song. I know most of us have sang this on our, our um, karaoke. Many parties. Imagine... The person can't live if their partner is no longer with them. You know, don't laugh at this, but because 
I, I know of a few people, a couple of, one person is, is a brother of a friend of mine who killed himself, hung himself by a belt in his room because his girl left him at a very young age. For one girl, you take your life away. There's so many girls out there. Seriously. I mean, not saying it's not, you're not going to have the same problem, but there's a lot of girls out there. Well, why would you take your life over one person? It's unbelievable. But people fall into the idolatry of relationships because they find their self-worth in a relationship. They find, because they're codependent, they want to be loved and they want to love someone. That's why there's Valentine's Day. Some of you guys fell into the trap. You spent a lot of money. <laughs> no, that's fine. You spent $100 on the middle. You could have gotten it for 25 bucks tomorrow. <laughs> but here, the woman by the well. You guys remember the woman by the well? The woman said to him, speaking to Jesus, Sir, give me this water. After Jesus told her that the water that is from me, one will never get thirsty ever again. And the girl thought, this woman thought, it's a, it's a drink that she can have. So she goes, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. She goes, I have no husband. She replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you, have, when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you have is not your husband. What you have said what you have just said is quite true. This woman endlessly have been trying to find her meaning in life through other men. She has been endlessly trying to find, to, to, to get the thirst of her life from other people rather than God. She has been through multiple, multiple failed marriages and now she said she got smarter. I'm not going to get married anymore. Let me just live in sin. But regardless of how many times you try, if you don't make God your first in your life, it won't matter. Your relationships will end and end and end. You will keep singing Ken Lee. You will be singing Ken Lee. Because there's... Until it's God, it's only God that will completely satisfy that thirst. And it's only God that can truly return that love that you're actually looking for. It doesn't matter how loving you think you are. Because once you make someone your idol, this is what's going to happen. You will crush them. You will crush them by your expectations. You're because you can't live without them. So you don't want to lose them. So all the more you want them to be perfect. So you're crushing them. You want them to be perfect. Don't do that. Don't say that. Look at me only. Just me. Love me. You're going to crush them with your expectations. And guess what? They're going to crush you with their imperfections. Because no matter how hard they try, they will never meet your expectations because you're looking for a God. You're looking for a God. You're looking for a perfect person. You're probably sitting there, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. <laughs> yes, you are. When you make someone other than God your idol, you will crush them with your expectations and they will crush you with their imperfections. Colossians here reads, So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. So greediness doesn't only come with money. Greediness comes with anything that you love. It could be, it could be vanity, the attention of people. It could be sex. It could be money, and it could be just fame and success. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. 
Relationships can be an idol. I know with our culture, especially Filipinos, right? Filipino culture, our families mean the world to us. That's why the other idolatry of our former faith becomes twice as hard to give up. Because there's two idols that's on the line there, whether we know about it or not. Because the first idol is the, 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 the things that we were used to praying and holding and touching and having in our house and in our cars. It's so hard to let go of them because we were used to having them. And then the other idols that, that when we turn to Christ is, is the idolatry of our family, our parents' approval, our relatives. Because we love them. And we want to continue to love them and we want them to love us in return. And it's a betrayal. Right, Filipino Catholics? It's a betrayal when we turn away from it because they make it about that. They say, how dare you? How dare you? You were born a Catholic. You're going to die a Catholic. All our parents were that. I don't care if you think this is the truth. Do you love your church more than you love us? I was told that two years ago. By my family, because we had a, a, a church service coming on the 24th, and my brother was uh, rushed to the hospital. He was on his end stage in his kidney. He was at, his kidneys were 19% functioning, functional. My cousin call, called me, was a, a Wednesday prayer meeting. It was a Wednesday, and the night will be a prayer meeting. He said, your brother's rushed there. He's on his end stage. And she was crying. She said, do you even know what end stage? And she was probably expecting me to just be bawling on the phone. I said, fine. I Googled it. End stage means my brother's going to die. So I said, okay, I'll be there after my prayer meeting. Me, my mom, and I drove there. Went to see my brother. The doctor the next day said, I thought I was going to get cut open. I was ready for them to take my other kidney for my brother. I thought it was that uh, it was that uh, moment. The doctor said, it's, we're not even there yet. We're not even there. We're far from that. We're going to go through dialysis and see. So I said, okay, fine. Well, you know, me, me and my mom need to go back because we have a Christmas service here. My aunt called me. My aunt called me. She said, at least now I know that your church means more to you than your family. I won't share to you what I said in response. <laughs> uh, let me just tell you, it was probably unbecoming of a pastor because I said my piece. But see, that's how they take it. That's how people take it. That if you turn to Christ, that's what idolatry is. When you turn away from your idols, violence happened. You know, in Acts, again, you would see when Paul was about to be murdered, they were going to murder him because the, the maker of the idols said, he made a big speech. He goes, this Paul, he's saying that the idols that we are making, the God of Artemis is, is not the real God. And you and I, we've all made a lot of money from this. And now he wants, he's telling people that these idols are not true. There was a riot and they wanted to kill Paul. Paul wanted to go to the temple, but everybody warned him not to come. Paul's suicidal because he knows where he was going. But see, when you turn away, when you tackle an idol, there's resistance. There's going to be resistance. There's going to be pain. It's going to be painful. When you, you tackle the idol of idolatry of your money, there's going to be pain in your, in your pocket. You're not going to be working that much overtime anymore. You're probably not going to pursue another job that's going to take you away. You're probably not going to compromise anymore. You're probably not going to invest in stocks that are compromising or invest in a business that's compromising your faith. It will be painful when you turn away from relationships that are, 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 are that, that you know are making you fall. If anyone wants to come to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Pretty clear. Now, in regards to marriage being an idol, 
having a bad marriage is horrible, right? Marriages are difficult, right? Because it's like a running wound. It's an open wound. You're constantly, you're bleeding and you're hurting and you're just losing strength. Having bad children, having bad parents. It's like, it's all the same. It's taking strength from you. It's taking your peace away. It's, they're not meeting your expectations. No happiness. Now having a good relationship with your spouse, having a good relationship, having great children, having great parents, having great families, that's bad too. You know why? Because they become your idol. They become your idol. And then what's going to happen? If you, I'm not saying don't have a good marriage, but if your marriage, if your spouse is your idol, one of you will see the other one in a casket. Now, if your complete peace, love, and everything is is sitting upon that person, who's gonna comfort you then? Who's gonna comfort you then when that person dies? Because everybody will die. It's a matter of when, and we don't know who's going to go first. When we make people that we are in a relationship with as idols, I said it earlier, say it again, we crush them with our expectations, and they will crush us with their imperfections. Now, what are we to do? Who are we to love? Mark 12, 30, 31 reads, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus summarizes it for us when he answered the question from a Pharisee who is trying to trap Jesus if he really knows his scriptures. But then these commands summarizes all the commandments that we are to love God with our entire being and everyone else after that. Idolatry is putting something or someone else above God. And some continue to stay in their certain faith, knowing that there is idolatry practices there because they can't let go of either that idol or those idols or the idols of their family, the approval of their family, the acceptance of their family, the love and affection of people once they turn from that faith. They are completely covered by idols in all counts and all aspects. They're surrounded. The statues and the people. And some cannot give up relationships that are causing them to sin against God, which makes that person in that relationship their idol. Being in a relationship makes it an idol. And if you are in a relationship and it's causing you to sin and you don't care, that's your idol. Some will not give up their sin against God because of their fear of losing their loved one and making that person thing or people as their idol, neglecting and forgetting the greatest commandment, loving God with your entire being. So when you say you love God, when you say you love God, there's proof. Jesus said it. If you love me, you will do what I have said, and my Father will love you. I will also love you and show you what I am like. And again in John 14, 15, if you love me, obey my commands. So, if you love him, you obey his commands. Now, God isn't saying to love our spouse, love our children. He's not saying that we love them. He's not saying that we love our career, we don't love our career, because some of us, we do have jobs and careers and businesses that we love. But what God is saying is to love God more. Love Him more. You can continue to love your spouse, that's a good thing. But don't love them above God. You are to continue to love your children, but you are not to love them over your love for God. Love God more, that is what God is saying. And if you love God more, you will obey His commands. 
Your life will be a proof of it. Not just your words, but your life. You know what? Because when we love Him, we obey Him. Because our obedience is a love relationship issue. It's a love relationship issue. Right there. If you love me, obey my commands. If you're not obeying Him, you don't love Him. You love your girl more. You love your spouse more. You love your children more. You love money more. If you love Him, obey His commands. And the question should be, how do I love God more? Now, there's so, so many abstract ways to do it. And the way is to say, while you're sitting there, I'm going to love God more. And not do anything about it. You can be that abstract. And you can just go, I can love God more until I go home. And then I'll love God more there. How do you love God more? You know how? When we see Him dying on the cross. When you think about Him dying on the cross for your sins and mine. When you see what He went through for you. Now it's not cheap. Most of us have traded grace as cheap grace because it's easy. It's just plain words. We say it and then we do whatever we want. It's not cheap, guys. Jesus died on the cross. How do you love God more? Look at the cross. Look at what he did. He died. An innocent man died on the cross for your sins. Not his. For your sins and mine. You want to learn how to love him more? Look at that. Don't, don't say, well, I've been a Christian for 20-something years. I don't need to know that. No, look at that. Never lose your focus on what it took him. And if you see it, the right feeling is this. How dare me to not love this person who did all this for me? Because of Him, I became right with God. Because of Him, I became, I've earned heaven. Because of Him, I'm called a child of God. How dare we to put an idol above this God? What has your spouse really done for you compared to what Christ has done for you? What do you think your children can give you other than what Christ has already given you? Our spouse, our children, our careers, our health, our life, the people that we're in relationship with are all God's blessing. God's blessing. How dare we that we put them on the second? So there is now no condemnation awaiting those who belong to Christ Jesus for the power of the life-giving spirit. And this power is mine through Christ Jesus has freed me from the vicious circle of sin and death. We aren't saved from sin's grasp by knowing the commandments of God because we can't and don't keep them. But God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent His own Son in a human body like ours, except that ours are sinful and destroyed sin's control over us by giving Himself as a sacrifice for our sins. So now we can obey God's laws if we follow after the Holy Spirit and no longer obey the evil nature within us. Until that, until that is true in your hearts and in your minds, until that becomes real in your souls, that is just a verse for you to read. This verse needs to be alive in you. This truth needs to be alive in you. Christ needs to be truly alive in you or else it's just a, a practice on Sundays or else you're just religiously coming here and you're treating this as a religion. It's not a religion. It's your relationship with Jesus Christ. The reason why you're here is because you want to be here because you're grateful to God and everything that He has done for you. The reason you obey because you love Him because of everything that He has done for you. The reason you love your spouse is because you love God who gave her or him to you. The reason why we obey is because we love Him. We love Him because of everything that He has done for us. The fact that He gave His only begotten Son to us to die on the cross for us. Until that becomes true, your life will just be a life of promises but never kept. 
a life of wanting but never getting. Until Christ truly becomes true, your obedience will be non-existent. Until Christ becomes your ultimate love, you will fall into falling in love with other things and other people other than Him. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for we thank you for knowing better than us, Lord God. For seeing the beginning of us and the ending of all of us. You seeing that we cannot make it right with you on our own. And if you did, Lord God, if you left us on our own, we'll be forever dead in our sins. But Lord, because you intervened, because you love us, Lord God, you died on the cross in exchange for us. Help us, Father, realize the real impact of that truth in our hearts and in our minds. And help us, Lord God, live it out, Lord God, with our entire being. Help us love you with our entire heart, entire soul, entire strength, entire mind, Father. Father, help us to see what money is, that it's just money. Help us to see what fame and what love is here. But because they're just little things, Lord God, compared to you. Father, we love you. And Father, I, we ask for forgiveness for the many times that we have fallen to the, these idols. Father, we thank you. And we ask all of this in your sweet and mighty name, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And all the Lord's people said, Amen, Amen. So we're going to get into the Lord's Supper. With that message, we're going to go to the Lord's Supper. If I can please have the Deacon John and Deacon Orly to come up here. Um, now, if you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, uh, you cannot partake. You should not partake of the elements. But if you want to partake of the elements because you want to accept Jesus now as your Lord and Savior, please come up. This is your altar call. Okay. Nobody. Praise God. Everybody's a Christian. In 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26, it reads, For I received from the Lord what I also pass unto you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And he, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity that we were able to observe what it took you for us to be with you. You gave your body and you shed your blood for us. We thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we do this, we have to confess our sins. So then whenever he drinks his bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, we'll be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. In Psalm 139, 23 24, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I suggest that you all pray silently. Ask for forgiveness for, for your sins. Because we are not worthy, but when God says we are worthy to take the elements, we will be. Can somebody please call the Sunday school teachers? Okay. Um, is it you, John, on the bread? Okay. You can... You can read that, that verse there before you pray. Luke 22, 19 says, And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Of me. Let's pray for the blood. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time where we remember uh, the great sacrifice that you did for us, Lord. Lord, we thank you that uh, we are together able to gather together in your name, Lord, and, and remember uh, the death that you died.
the perfect life that you lived as an example for us, Lord. Yes. Lord, we just pray for this uh, bread as it resembles your body that was broken and beaten for the redemption of our sins. All this we ask in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. It is poured out for you. Let's pray. Gracious and loving Father, once again, thank you for this privilege and opportunity to observe the Lord's Supper. Lord Jesus, thank you for the sacrificial death that you done at the cross in Calvary. Father God, I pray that you bless this element, this juice that represents the blood of your son that was shed for us. And may you be glorified in our presence tonight, Father God. Please cleanse us with your blood so that we are a precious to, to take this element tonight, Father. We praise you, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Please stay in your seats as our deacons will pass along the elements. Thank you. 